When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Hello and welcome again to A Million Other Choices. I am your host, Kim. case takes us out to Saanich, BC, which is just outside of Victoria, for the murder of a young woman that created a media sensation in 1997 when it happened. So as I tell the story, you'll likely remember the odd detail about it, but it deserves a refresher. This is the murder of Rena Burke. Rena's family was considered a minority within a minority. Her father Manjeet was an immigrant originally from India and her mom, Suman, was of Indo-Canadian descent but had converted from Hinduism to Jehovah Witness. The Indo-Canadian community was about 3,000 people in Saanich, uh, BC and was predominantly Sikh. The city of Saanich is considered... And the city of Saanich is actually on Vancouver Island in British Columbia, kind of within the greater Victoria area. At the time of her murder, Rena was only 14 years old and troubled, for lack of a better word. She was torn between the love for her family and pressures to be so-called Canadianized. As a result, she had rebelled from her parents' strict religious lifestyle and had started smoking pot and cigarettes in an effort to be more accepted by the more popular girls at Shoreline Secondary School where she attended. She wanted nothing more than to be accepted by the more popular peers, but it was she was often taunted for, now they say for being a larger girl, like for her weight, but I just don't see it, but then... 1997 was the time when I think if you weren't a size zero, you were considered obese. So, but again, I, I didn't see it. She was also humiliated for her dark body hair and sometimes called the bearded lady and the beast. Just stupid, childish, mean teenage things. 
Rena felt trapped by her parents' rules and her family's religious beliefs. And this wanting to be Canadianized, it took her to a place where um, she actually made false allegations against her father, Manjeet, of molestation, hoping that it was going to get her moved into foster care. Um, she knew that some of the other girls in school were living in foster care, and it, I, I don't know if it seemed glamorous to her, but it certainly would have seemed like she had more freedom that way. And it worked. Uh, she was moved under the care of BC's Ministry of Children and Families. Now, she later recanted her accusations and did move home again briefly, but a lot of the damage um, with the Virk family had been done by that point. Manjeet later said that once Serena, quote, went into the hands of outsiders, nothing worked from that day, end quote. Uh, Rena was our firstborn child. She was born in 83. And then we had two more children, um, Simran, who was born in 85, and Amin was born in 88. Uh, your firstborn child holds a really special um, place in your heart because you experience all the joys and happiness of welcoming a new being into the world for the first time. And the bond that you share with that child is huge. I was very active in, in my daughter's life. Right from day one, I was there when she was born. I changed my shift. My wife worked days, I worked afternoons, so we can provide personal care rather than leaving her to babysitters. It was not the norm of our countrymen in 70s to take care of your children. It's a woman's job. So I went against the flow. She slept on my shoulder. I did her hair, I took her to parks, I played with her, all sorts of things I did. And she was thriving. It wasn't until she hit about 12, 13, that um, she wanted to be you know, friends with everybody and accepted, which is a normal part of growing up where we're trying to, you know, find out where we fit in with people around us. There was some, you know, mean kids in school who would make fun of her and tease her. And so when she'd come home from school and all upset, I'd kind of, you know, tell her, well, that's just the way things are. You know, some people are more accepting and tolerant. I think that she really felt like she just didn't fit in anywhere, not at home and not with her peers also. In November 1997, she was still staying at the foster home, but she was visiting, spending the odd weekend at home with her parents. Now, this foster home wasn't like your traditional family model foster home. It was kind of a cross between like a foster home and a group home. Uh, so there were other girls living there at the time, but it was in like a residential house. 
It gets a bit confusing because there are seven other girls involved in this story besides Rena, and none of them except one can be named because they're underage and protected by the youth and because they were underage and protected by the Youth Justice Act. But two girls who we're gonna call Nicole C and Missy J were living at the foster home with Rena. Missy J and Nicole C were not fans of Rena. And Nicole had discovered that Rena had taken her address book one day and used it to call some of her contacts and spread some rumors about Nicole to them. She was also accused of flirting with Nicole's boyfriend. Now, probably most of this wasn't so much true as it was egged on by sort of quote unquote facts provided, you know, provided to Nicole through some of her other girlfriends. You know, things like I saw her wearing your boyfriend's coat or I heard from so-and-so that she um, did such and such, that kind of thing. So Nicole was not a fan, let's just say that. Missy and Nicole were also both friends with a 15-year-old girl named Kelly Ellard, who was not living in foster care, but actually came from a pretty normal and stable home. On the evening of November 14th, 1997, which was a Friday, Rena was expected to spend the weekend at her parents' house. That night, Rena received a phone call inviting her to a party on a field behind Shoreline School in View Royal. Not sure who the call was from, but one of the eight people that we're later going to hear about. Um, so Rena took the invitation as a way of letting the issues that had come up recently go and starting fresh. What she didn't know was that the invitation was actually just a ploy to lure her to a place where they could teach her a lesson. Serena did attend this party, um, and while they were behind the school, of course, the police were arrived to break the party up. So the group, is about 20 kids, moved to the Craigflower Bridge, which spans the Gorge Waterway. While at the south end of the bridge, well, they were actually underneath the bridge, Rena did enjoy herself with the other kids there. There was alcohol and marijuana consumed, but it's not clear if Rena herself took part in that. But when Nicole showed up, Rena knew that it had been a setup and that it had not been a friendly invitation to let bygones be bygones. Words were exchanged by Nicole and Rena, and Nicole actually took her cigarette and stubbed it out right on Rena's forehead. And with that, Rena was suddenly swarmed by what would later become known as the Shoreline Six. So that would be Nicole, Missy, Kelly Ellard, and three other underage girls that we're going to call Gail, Courtney, and Naomi, and one male named Warren Glowatsky. The girls and Warren repeatedly punched and kicked Rena, while Rena cried out, I'm sorry. Repeatedly punched and kicked Rena, and someone also tried to set Rena's hair on fire. Much of the main party crowd took off, when the fight started, but a total of eight remained and participated in the beating. And one of the onlookers, but still a participant, told the group finally to stop that she had had enough. And they did. So Rena was able to break away and staggered off towards her house. Um, as the remaining girls, they had taken her purse, so they were picking through it and just, you know, dumping stuff on the floor. All six of the girls noted that she was walking away. She was limping and battered, but she was alive. And she was headed to the north side of the bridge. So she was like on, now she's on top of the bridge, making her way across it. But the others 
did notice that Kelly Ellard and Warren Glowatsky actually separated themselves from the group. Now, they later told the others that they had just gone home. The next morning, when Reno failed to show up at her parents, her parents reported her missing. Um, They also phoned, of course, the foster home and found that she hadn't been there either. The police didn't take it too seriously at first because she was living in foster care and kids taking off and missing curfew is really nothing new to them. But by the Monday, she still hadn't shown up, so police did ask around her school, but nothing came to light of that. In the days following, there were some rumors starting to circulate that, uh, circulating around her school, that were heard by both students and some of the teachers about an altercation that had actually led to a murder. But no one contacted the police about what they'd heard and about or about Rena's disappearance. Police finally did hear a rumor that named actually named two girls who were bragging about beating up Rena and breaking her nose. And it turns out that these two girls were living at Rena's foster home, foster home. So likely they were Nicole and Missy. Um, They did confess confess to participating in the beating, but they had not witnessed anything further than that. At this point, Rena is still a missing person, so there's no proof that she's been murdered. But they did provide police with the names of four other girls, again, all underaged and not named, and Kelly Ellard, 15, and Warren, 16, were mentioned as well. All of the kids were brought in, but none of them were acting terrified or crying or anything like that. They were all just pretty cold and calm about it and um, cold and calm about being questioned about a missing girl. Um, Now, the conversations that the police had with each of them led them to start looking around, uh, looking in the water that was around the bridge. It was a really slow process because, of course, the water is very dark and it's hard to see in. Eight days later, Arena's half-naked body was discovered and retrieved from the water by police divers that were led by Rick Gosling. She was found in only a t-shirt. Her jeans and underwear had her jeans and underwear had been discovered actually downstream of the bridge a few days earlier than that. The autopsy report had the autopsy's report showed extensive damage to Virk's body including multiple blows, bruising to her head and abdomen. The report said that Rena most likely would have died of her injuries if she hadn't been drowned. And that's kind of a bit where it could have got very complicated because she, if she had died as a result of the beating, there would have actually been eight murderers. But because she died of drowning, that meant there were only two murderers and that was looking like Kelly Ellard and Warren Glowatsky. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, Kelly Ellard, she was one that completely refused to cooperate. She said it, well, at first she said she didn't even know who Rena was, um, but she later did say that, 
you know, she had participated in the initial beating, but then after she sort of stumbled away from the group, that was the end of it. A search of her locker, though, at school did find a series of drawings um, that Kelly had done of a police officer being shot with spurting blood and wounds and dark stuff like that, but really no smoking gun. Warren, though, later confessed that that he had that him and Kelly had actually gone back to follow Rena to make sure that she wasn't going to rat them out. But they sort of determined that they wanted to finish the job. So they made her take off her coat and her shoes and they beat her, punching and kicking her in the abdomen, face and head. And at one point, Kelly had smashed Rena's head into a tree Uh, which left her unconscious and then the two of them dragged her to the water and her jeans had actually come off because of the dragging uh, leaving her naked from the waist down Warren claims it was Kelly that actually drowned her holding her head down and one witness had said that later Kelly had bragged that she had smoked a cigarette while standing on Rena's head Um, but Kelly refused to take any responsibility for it she said she had nothing to do with it um as most of the other girls cannot be properly named, it, I also can't tell you who pled guilty and all that stuff, but I can tell you that three of the girls pled guilty and three pled not guilty. All of them were charged with assault causing bodily injury, except Kelly and Warren, who were charged with uh, murder um, due to the, and they were charged as adults because of obviously the extreme nature of the, the murder and the beating. All of the girls, with the exception of one, served about a year in jail each. Now, one of the girls was unable to be incarcerated because she'd made repeated suicide attempts that were brought on by PTSD from her childhood. And I do know that one of the girls is now deceased. And just kind of based on that information, it kind of implies that it might be the same girl. We really don't know much about these girls, but I did discover that Nicole C., She actually came forward later and participated in MSNBC's documentary called Bloodlust Under the Bridge, and she revealed to Keith Morrison that she was living in a group home at the time and admitted that she had taken the lit cigarette and put it on um, Rena's face, which had started the entire beating. But she refused to take any responsibility for any involvement in the murder itself. But when she was asked by Keith, well, would the murder have happened if you hadn't started the fight by burning her face with your cigarette? She replied, I don't know, maybe. I also discovered that Nicole returned to the crime scene the day after the killing. Um, Her friend Missy was with her to retrieve Rena's shoes and sweater. And they took those back to the group home and forced this other younger girl um they just just known as stephanie to hide them into in her closet and forcing her to make some phone calls to suman uh rena's mom while the search was still active to kind of throw them off the the case that or throw them off the idea that she was dead warren was the first to go to trial for murder in february of 1998 At the time of Rena's murder, Warren was 16 years old. He was living alone in a trailer in Saanich. His dad had left him to move to California to marry a woman that he met in Las Vegas. He was, so he was getting money from his dad who sent a monthly check. 
Warren was known as kind of a wannabe gangster. He had been inspired, I guess, by some of the L.A. Crips. His mother was a, a severe al- alcoholic, and although she were, she was married at the time to his father um, when he was a child and technically living with them, she really wasn't home much and can be considered absent from his upbringing. His parents did move around a lot until they separated in 1996, so not a very stable upbringing. Initially, he said that he was just a bystander and that Kelly did everything, but on his cross-examination at the trial, he admitted that on the night of her murder, for whatever reason, he had kicked her twice in the head. Uh, And when the first beating had ended, him and Kelly had followed her and that Kelly smashed her face into a tree, knocking her out. And then with, and then Warren had helped Kelly drag her into the water where Kelly ultimately drowned her. He was tried as an adult and convicted of second degree murder on June 2nd, 1999. He appealed and in 2001 that was denied. So he served seven years of a life sentence and has since been paroled. Now he was eligible for early parole due to being a youth. I guess at the time, seven years was the max eligibility for parole uh, for youths back then. It is now a minimum of 10 years. During this time, during his time in prison, he discovered that he was Métis. Uh, this was really a big part of his healing, and he actually requested that some of his elders be involved in the process and of his healing, and he participated in some healing circles. He actually met with Rena's parents, Suman and Manjeet, to apologize personally for his part in the murder um, of Rena. And in 2007, he applied for day parole, and the Verks actually supported his bid for parole at that time. And it, I think it was Suman who said, I think the most important reason why we've forgiven Warren is so that we can just put the whole matter aside and for our own healing and sense of wholeness. He was an angry, scared little kid who was trying to prove something in a negative way. Today, I think we see a young man who has taken responsibility for his actions and is trying to amend the wrong that he did. So Warren Gowatsky was fully paroled in June of 2010. Kelly Ellard, who actually changed her name to Carrie Sim, she's a bit of a different story, and her legal proceedings actually took up 10 years of the Verk's life. At the time of Rena's murder, Kelly was 15 years old and you know a little bit of a partier, but by no accounts um, a troubled Well, she was definitely troubled, but she didn't have any troubles with the law, um, nothing like that. She was certainly more popular than Rena, and she really disliked Rena a lot. Um, But she had come from a somewhat stable home life, and her family actually supported her at her trial, or what later turned out to be trials. She claims Warren was completely lying, and that she only took part in the initial beating. When Rena's body was discovered, the police had detained Kelly on November 22nd, 1997, and interrogated her for more than three hours uh, in the presence of her mom and stepfather. She initially denied even knowing Rena, and then she adv- eventually admitted to taking part in just the initial assault on her. Mostly what they had against Kelly was circumstantial evidence, except they did have her jean jacket that she was wearing the night and had it had like seawater salt stains on the arm and waistband of the coat. 
Um, as I said, her prosecution took up, took 10 years. And I, I mean, I can't even imagine what that cost us taxpayers. She wound up having a total of four, count them four, trials. And from what I understand, she had further delayed things um, by hiring and firing lawyers. At her first trial in March 2000, she was convicted of second-degree murder, but in February 2003, that conviction was overturned and a new trial was ordered. At the second trial in July 2004, despite the fact that Warren testified against her, um, she was also shown at that trial her coat with the salt stains on them, um, and when she saw it, she started to cry and actually yelled at the prosecutor, um, you got what you wanted, I'm going to be convicted and go to jail. Does that make you happy? And this was after her being questioned by the prosecutor. She had told um, that lawyer to hurry up with her questions. Uh, she was just generally being very belligerent during her own trial. Um, and she told the court at that time, I am not a monster. So that second trial actually ended in a hung jury, which forced a mistrial because one of the 12 jurors voted not guilty after five days of deliberating. So then a third trial was ordered and Kelly, who's now known as Carrie Sim, was convicted again of second degree murder uh, in April of 2005 and given the automatic life sentence with no parole eligibility for the seven years. This third conviction was also appealed in 2008 but the Supreme Court ruled that her conviction stands um, in their ruling judgment which was released on June 12, 2009. So she was sentenced in the end to life in prison with the eligibility for parole after seven years. Now unlike Warren, Kelly spent her years in prison repeating her claims of innocence and taking illegal drugs and breaking penitentiary rules. She eventually changed... Oh, I already said that part. Uh, in 2016, she had given birth to a child that was conceived during a conjugal visit with her new boyfriend, an ex-convict, 41-year-old Darwin Dorazan, who had been an inmate himself until being granted parole from his conviction of robbery, kidnapping with a firearm, and dangerous driving, which then freed him up for some conjugal visits. His parole was later revoked, and he was returned to prison. In 2016, she started her first bid for day parole, but was denied, having kind of at that time only just started to take just a wee bit of responsibility for her part in the beating of Rena. In 2018, she applied again, and at that time was granted day parole. So while under day parole, she became pregnant again with Darwin's second child. I think it's quite ironic that his name is Darwin. He had been granted day parole himself for six months on November 9th, 2019. I'm not sure what happened to the first baby, but she was able to live with baby number two in a residential facility on Abbotsford, which is where she was incarcerated at that time. 70% of female inmates in Canadian prisons are mothers to children under the age of 18. In 2001, the parole board extended her day parole, stating, quote, The fact that the birth of your children has given you a purpose in life is tragically ironic as you ended the life of another mother's child. But your children and the support of your common-law spouse, that would be Darwin, and our 
and other family members are strong protective factors. The board's hope is that parole will help her reintegrate into society as a law-abiding citizen. The Virk family had started a civil lawsuit uh, with the Supreme Court of British Columbia in 1999. At that time, it named about 20 different defendants, including the parents of all the involved um, teenagers, the Greater Victoria School District, and the province of British Columbia. Um, They felt that they were all liable for the wrongful death of Rena. Now, ultimately, that lawsuit was only... like the other parties were sort of dismissed from the lawsuit and it was only against three parties, the parents of Kelly and Warren and the ministry of children and families, because the Verks believed that the minister was, you know, supposed to be uh, protecting Rena's safety and that when outside of the foster home, she would not have been safe um, due to her, the bullying behavior that was going on. The lawsuit was dismissed by Madam Justice Dorgan on March 26, 2008, not because it was unfounded, but due to inordinate delay. She was basically claiming that the Virk family had waited too long to proceed with the action because they were actually waiting for Kelly's trials to conclude. So basically, Kelly avoided being sued because she dragged out her court battles. Manjeet and Suman Virk channeled their grief over Rena's murder into a public awareness campaign against bullying and teenage violence. They successfully had the they were successful in getting the British the BC government to enact a series of anti-bullying programs in schools. They also spoke about bullying in all kinds of public meetings that were attended by thousands of children, teachers, law enforcement officials. Since then, bullying has actually become a national topic of conversation. And in 2009, the Verks were honored with the British Columbia's Anthony J. Hume Award of Distinction for their contributions to crime prevention and community safety. Sadly, Suman Verk died on June 16th of 2018 at age 58, following a choking accident um, in a cafe. She was taken off life support three days after the incident, which unfortunately had left her left her brain dead. British Columbia Premier at that time, John Horgan, offered his condolences on Twitter, saying, Suman's tireless work to end bullying has helped make life better for countless kids in BC. Our hearts are with Manjeet Virk and the entire Virk family at this difficult time. BC Education Minister Rob Fleming said of both Suman and Manjeet, Rena's tragic death would have understandably led most people to be sorrowful and intensely private for the remainder of their lives. In Suman's case, she and her husband instead pioneered a discussion about the potentially deadly consequences of bullying in our school system and literally talked to tens of thousands of kids educators, administrators, and law enforcement officials about how we can learn to treat one another with respect and kindness. He also added how um, Suman had chose to speak very publicly about teaching and practicing acceptance as a path to prevent violence amongst young people. He said she lived her life after her daughter's death in a very powerful way, with compassion and conviction about making life better for kids who would otherwise be vulnerable.
And that was The Tragic Murder of Rena Burke. If you are interested in this story and some of the social implications of bullying that it stirs up and some of those anti-bullying initiatives that came about as a result of Rena's murder, I discovered after I had written this episode that Podcast by Proxy, which is a Canadian true crime podcast, does a very in-depth two-part episode on Rena. I actually learned this because Olivia, who's one of the hosts, contacted me to inquire about doing Taylor's story on their podcast, which was very nice of her to do. We are not required to ask permission to cover cases, but it's it's a nice courtesy. So I checked them out and I saw this case listed and it's very in-depth that they do. It's actually two parts. The first part airs on or aired on February 22nd and then the second part was on March 1st of 2022. I believe that the Taylor case will have already been released by the time you're hearing this though, so hopefully I remembered to mention them on Instagram. If I haven't mentioned them yet, they are a two-person hosted podcast and their coverage of cases is respectful, uh, so I'm happy to recommend them and they are also independent like me, so you know we got to support each other. I hope you're going to join me again next week for another case. And speaking of support, do the rate, review, etc., etc. thing. And thank you for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.